Good evening, church. Tonight's reading is from 1 James, verses 16 through to 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Great. Good evening, everybody. Can anybody else just confirm that that was really poor? And it's just trying to make sure that everyone's awake here. Good morning. Good evening. Salbona. Sorry, this has all gone wonky here. Okay, there we go. Great. Good evening, everyone. Let's start that again. Yay. Good to see you guys. Such a treat to have Steph share her story tonight. And thank you for doing that. And as an observer to your life, we're so encouraged by how God has brought you through a really difficult season. What I love about what Steph owns there, she goes, man, I missed out on so much of the wisdom of God and the grace of God through not having community around me in my time of need. And more than that, just recognising that God does bring beauty from ashes and God does work His purposes through even our most difficult journeys. So Steph, thank you for owning your story and sharing it with us tonight. In many ways, these are some of the big themes that we're going to be looking at uh, again this evening. For those of you who are newer to our context, we're in James and we're working through this great book of James. I'm excited to, to unpack it a little bit more. We just looking at those three verses that we just read tonight. But so far, I think we need to just unwind the clock a little bit because what we get to in the text tonight is not completely disconnected from what we've read already. So if you've got your Bibles with you, why don't you open to James chapter one and we're gonna recap real quick. See what, where James starts, quick introduction. And then he gets into kind of going, guys, it's possible to experience God's purposes and even joy in your difficult times. And James kind of camps there a little bit and he goes, consider it pure joy. Like find the joy in the difficult times because even in the tough trials, God has purpose and He's perfecting us and He is shaping us and our trials can be something of an upwind of God if we recognise that He's in it and we allow Him to achieve His purposes in us. And he says various different types of trials. And then he goes into unpacking a few different trials. If you're lacking wisdom, ask God, he says. If you're, if you're facing kind of unbelief and doubt, exercise some faith, he says. If you find yourself kind of, kind of lowly positioned in life, then celebrate that it's God that lifts you up in the most important and ultimate ways. If you've been afflicted by wealth, James says, if that's the trial that you face, then humble yourself and consider your life and measure your life and don't try and save yourself, but, but look to God. So these various different trials, they can be used as an upwind of God's purposes and, and joy can be found in them. But then James continues and he says, but... Don't, don't see temptation as the same as trials. No, 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 temptations are this downward cycle. Don't say, hey, God's, God's at work in my temptation. No, He's not. Temptation is a downward cycle that leads to decay and death. 
And we saw last week Jane speaking to us about some of those realities in life. And then we find ourselves coming to this place of tonight recognising that God is, is faithful and He can use the good, th- the, the kind of trial things and, and God's not in the temptation and we need to avoid those. But really where we find ourselves tonight in these three verses is that actually James, doesn't want to rem- James wants to remind them life is not all about trials or temptations. God's also here and He's using the good stuff in our lives. And He is in those things for He is the giver of those things. And we need to recognise that it's from God that these things come. And the big idea for tonight is, is to look up. James says, look up, look to the Father of lights. He is the one that is at work in the good stuff too. We need to keep right perspective I believe is one of the key things that James is saying here and, he, and we'll get into how he, he kind of helps us with the right perspective. He says, don't be perceived, but look up. Don't be deceived, sorry, not perceived. Don't be deceived, but, but look up. Like don't, don't look in the wrong directions, look up. And perspective is such an important thing. I can remember uh, when uh, 10 years ago, my daughters were four and two and we hadn't adopted Oscar yet and, and we owned a little red city golf. And we got in our car one June, July holiday and we had about two weeks off. And so my mom was visiting from overseas and we put mom in the front seat, me in the driver's seat, the two baby chair or car chairs for our two girls and Kate stuck in the middle between the two of them and a city golf is not very wide. And then we had bags pretty much to the roof, right? And we drove in our city golf from Cape Town to East London. And when we were in East London, we stayed with my aunts and uncle and they have this beautiful house in Malone Heights that overlooks the, the kind of uh, water beach. <laughs> Beauty. What is that thing called? The heads, the heads, the, like the ocean. What is that? The mouth, the river mouth. That's what I'm looking for. It oversees the river mouth and you can walk down a pathway down to their own little private beach. When they bought the house in the 80s, it was the most that had ever been paid for a house in East London. We stayed with them and man, I remember so enjoying that part of the holiday, but getting in my little red city golf as I drove out of there and my uncle's got a Ferrari and he's got a, some kind of special old truck and his Ferrari's on in England, but, but he's got these amazing cars and I get back in my little city golf and I'm like, Lord, where are you? What about me, Lord? Have you forgotten me? But we stopped at another family member's house on the way home from East London in George. Stopped at an aunt's on the other side of the family. And she doesn't have a house. She lives in a converted garage in the back of someone else's property and her husband left her after a long season of being unfaithful and physically abusive towards her. And she's got a child with multiple special needs who's now an adult child. And when we pulled into their house, they they moved out, well, she moved out of her room and into her son's room and slept on his single bed with him so that we can move into her room. And the next morning she got up and she walked her son to his special school and, and then she walked to work because they didn't own a car. I remember getting into my Red City Golf saying, Lord, I am so grateful for your many blessings in my life. What changed circumstantially for me? 
absolutely nothing changed, but I found where I was placing my attention and, and all the things I was focusing on over here seemed to create in me this discontentment with, with my circumstances and somehow a discontentment with God. And then my circumstances, in a sense, the things I was focusing, my circumstances didn't change, but the things I was focusing on, I started to recognize as the many very generous blessings of God in my life. And I started to find myself being grateful to God. Can you see how fickle the human heart is? And James is, is calling us to be those who look up and recognize the, the great generosity of God towards us. And we're gonna unpack quite a bit of that today. But he starts with these very important seven words on this perspective thing. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And you can say brothers and sisters because it's clear that he had the whole community in mind here. This is a gender inclusive brothers. And two things are very evident in the first seven words that we're gonna look at tonight. And the first one is that James obviously feels a huge love and affection and compassion for these people. You can hear he's using familial language and he's not throwing that about lightly. He's saying, no, you are part of us. We are community, we are family you're my dearly beloved brothers and sisters. And he's saying, hey, I want this for you. It's kind of like Steph said in her video, man, I wish I had some of these wise people that I now have around me speaking into my life out of love and care and concern. I wish I had them around me back then. James is being that to these, these Christ followers. And I'm so personally grateful for people in this community that have carried a a heart for me and been willing to speak hard truth into my life, but out of a place of love. This week, Kate and I were working through some stuff and we went and sat with Al Gibbon, who's one of the elders. And we said, hey, Al, here's the stuff we're working through. And he spoke into our lives and, and he had to say some hard things. But at no point in anything that he said, did I not understand that this was coming from his heart of love towards us. And it was so rich to be on the receiving end of, of strong words, but loving words. And I remember last week after Jane spoke and she was speaking about temptation and a bunch of stuff, one of my longest standing friends in this community, she came up to me and she said, hey Ryan, and pulled Kate in, hey Ryan and Kate, I wanna thank you for that season in my life when I was kind of in a sense going after some things that were not God's plan and God's purpose in my life. And I, I wanna say thank you for coming alongside me and arresting my heart and raising my gaze to see God for who He is again. Thank you so much. And I don't say that by way of making Kate and myself the, the hero of the story. I say that by way of, man, we both receiving and we participating and giving it in the context of familial relationships. That's what the church is called to be. And James is exercising this again towards these people. When I was recently at this conference, I've been telling you guys about in the UK, one of the guys that I team with globally, I felt like a bit of a, I needed to bring him some feedback, right? You know, when you're kind of carrying something for someone. And I really had to work myself up to this point of courage where I kind of pulled him aside. I said, hey dude, can we just grab five minutes after lunch just to chat real quick? And he shot back with such empowering words. He said, hey Ryan, you wanna rebuke me? And, and I was like, ugh. But he didn't stop there. He carried on, he said, I'm up for it. I know you love me. 
straight away. When he said that in over a five minute conversation, I reckon he said it six times. I know you love me. I know you love me. Come on, Ryan, hit me. What is it? I know you love me. And what it did is it completely diffused the situation. It gave me courage to share what I needed to share with him because he was in the right spirit to receive it. And it most probably checked his heart a few times saying, hey, subdue the pride. Don't get aggressive or don't get responsive. Here, receive. This guy loves you. He's built up his courage to come share with you. Now, come on, Ryan. This is so good. I most probably need to hear this because I know you love me. He said that halfway through. At the end, he goes, Ryan, thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you shared this with me. I know you love me and it's out of love that you shared this with me. Helpful, helpful, helpful. Church, can we adopt the I know you love me kind of relational language? Because it should invite the correction of community in our lives. How many of you have got perfect perspective? I'm glad you kept your hands down, right? We didn't have any smart Alex here kind of like, oh, it's me, I've got perfect. No, we all know that we miss it from time to time. James is saying to these guys, do not be deceived. He is he's speaking this out of a great concern for them. And be deceived is actually one word translated two words, be deceived. And it can mean a few things, but we actually look to chapter five where the same uh, word is, is translated. And we see there in the context of chapter five that it's really speaking about James' concern of them being kind of deceived in a way that drags them away from the purposes of God, the will of God, the way of God, and kind of, kind of derails their, their walk in the way of Jesus. And he's saying, no, I don't want you to be deceived. In other words, I don't want you to misread this in a way that causes you to derail your faith and to be kind of pulled away. And you can imagine because of the trials and the temptations that he's just spoken to with these people, like we have trials and temptations in our lives. He's saying, hey, I really, uh, I don't want you to misunderstand the way things are in a way that leads you astray because you can't see the work of God in your trials. I don't want you to be kind of misread things in a way that sees you led astray by thinking God is tempting you. I don't want you to now be led astray but not by missing the grace of God and, and looking up and, and finding yourself in a place where you're not recognising the work of God and the many good and perfect gifts to your life from God. He says, I don't want you to be deceived in that kind of way. And he's imploring them and begging them and pleading with them that they would see things the way they truly are. And he's doing it from this place of love. See, I think we personally need to take some courage from James and the way that he deals with these situations and the way that he speaks truth in love. He doesn't want to see anyone led away and led astray. See, I think deception in our day and age is way more subtle than many of us think when we think of the word deception. When you think of deception, you think of all those uh, series on Netflix right now where everybody gets pulled into a cult, right? And next thing you're like with the Indian shaman, your clothes are off and whatever is happening, right? You think that's what deception looks like. The truth is that that's not deception. Well, yes, that is very much deception. (laughs) Let me just say that. That is very much deception. That's very much deception. But, But truth be told, most of us most of us are gonna be deceived and led astray in much more subtle ways. None of us are gonna join the crazy Satanist cult, hopefully. Let's put up this slide real quick. I worked on this in the week 
It's not all my work. Most of it's not my work, let's say that. The colors, I'm good at colors. Um, but, but six primary worldviews. See, most of us sitting here today, if you're a Christ follower, you're in the green at the top, right? Theism, the belief in God. That, that's us. Most of us, if we are kind of educated, would find ourselves not quickly, and that's why I put them in red, giving into pantheism or polytheism or naturalism, right? We would find ourselves, however, likely not even realizing that there are elements of humanism and postmodernism that have really kind of found their tentacles in the things that we believe. Let me take this for a spin a little moment. See, more often we're just slightly more humanistic in our practices. What does that mean? We get deceived into believing that the, the world's value systems are always evolving and progressing as people evolve and progress. And that the best that we can do is actually just keep up with the times and the kind of uh, align ourselves with the progression of things in the world, with the natural changes that are happening in culture. Or more days, Dangerously, when it comes to kind of humanistic worldview, what can happen is we unknowingly start to believe what many humanists believe, which is at the end of the day, it's really up to us to make it happen for ourselves in this life. And we find ourselves stop, stopping looking to God for the answers, stopping praying, stopping consulting God as we make decisions in our lives and trusting that He would act in our lives and we start taking matters into our own hands. If you're a Christ follower and you've been one for any amount of times, how many of us know that God answers prayer just often not as quickly as we'd like? God has been known to be known as the 11th hour God. And yet how often do we find ourselves getting caught in the deceit of humanism where at somewhere around 11.30 we decide, okay, God, we gave you a chance, but now it's up to me and I'm gonna step in and I'm gonna sort this out for myself. See, my experience is God is actually not the 11th hour God. He's the 11.59 and 59, right? But we humanistically give in to some of these tendencies to take things into our hands. Most of us are not gonna be deceived and become pantheists where we believe that there's no material world and everything is just spiritual and all of what we're currently experiencing and pinch your friend is just an illusion you caught in the matrix vortex. Most of us are not gonna be deceived in that way, but when it comes to the postmodernist worldview, we can find ourselves, that, that worldview believes that cultures and religions are, are just actually all social, social constructs and, and we're just the products of the cultures that we've been raised in. And then what happens is in more recent developments in postmodernism, we see hyper-individualism. So it's not just about what your culture or your people believe that shapes you and forms you as a social construct. Actually, hyper-individualism is the next step in postmodernism, which actually says it's what you choose to believe and what you choose to understand. You can develop your own constructs. And that's why we get the reality of the, hey, you do you and I'll do me. This is my truth, what's your truth? And there's no more room for an absolute truth because the only thing that we absolutely not able to believe is in an absolute truth, which is a bit of a conundrum that I still haven't been able to figure out. The truth is 
just as long as you do you and you don't mess with me, then we can all be fine. And I've found more and more Christians, unfortunately, saying things like, man, I just don't wanna put my truth onto anyone else. I just need to find myself kind of shrinking back into my box and allowing other people like, hey, you do you, you're fine. And the reality is that we are not called to judge the world, but we are called to love the world. And as a parent of three young kids, I find it impossible to love without truth. It is impossible to love without truth. And so in the context of our worlds, unfortunately, so many people are saying, hey, you do you, you're fine. And the reality is the people who are doing me do me are actually going, man, I've been trying to do me do me for some time now. And, and guess what? I'm not fine. And they're owning up to that. And as the Christ followers that we are, we're not called to judge the world, we're called to love the world. And Jesus quite clearly displayed and proclaimed that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And the best that we can do is we can hold forth for ourselves a right understanding of Him being the way, the truth, and the life. And we can hold out to the world the best of our truth that we understand to be true, absolutely, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And others get to decide how they respond to that reality. In our life group, we're busy reading that book that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, John Mark Gomer's Live No Lies. If you haven't read it, I wanna commend it to you. Our life group, every week we have discussions about this. That we're just unpacking, man, it's true. In my parenting, I've bought into that lie. I've bought into that lie and I've bought into that lie. We need to find ourselves coming to a place of recognising, no, 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 that's where I'm being deceived. No, 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 that's where this, this humanistic thing is taking me a little bit. I'm starting to believe that it's up to me to make it happen. Or this postmodernistic kind of subtle understanding is coming into play that actually like, hey, we just have to just let everybody sing Kumbaya and it'll be fine. That is not the most loving thing we can do. Have you noticed how many people in our schools, in our workplaces, in our families are feeling very lost and unable to see the way forward on so many important matters of belief and sexuality and gender and race and so much more? We ourselves are asking these big questions. We must find our confidence in the way of Jesus. Have you seen how many are unsure of what's really true these days? Disinformatia, fake news, political agendas, deconstructionism, all dominating our worlds today, yet we must find our confidence in the unchanging truth that is Jesus. So many in our world are desperate for finding the good life that all these other worldviews seem to promote and promise, but as they've turned their back of God, on, the, on God, the truth is the statistics tell us that our world is more depressed, our world is more insecure, our more, world is more confused, our world is more fearful and more lonely than ever before. We must find our confidence in the life of Jesus. Jesus said, I came for freedom to set you free. It's for freedom that you've been set free. And he said he's come to give us life and the fullness thereof. I think we can hold to these truths. We can look up, we can depend, we can take hold of him. 
I'm really excited in the third quarter there's a team of us on the base that are working currently on putting together a sexuality series. And we're working really hard behind the scenes to make sure that we bring the truth and love, the way, the life and the truth of Jesus to bear on some of the huge debatable discussion, hot discussion topics of our age. And we're saying, what would Jesus say to these things? And what do we have to hold out to our hearts so that we can align with His way and His truth? And what do we have to hold out to our worlds on these really big and contentious subjects? And we're gonna get to that. We're gonna spend six Sundays and a few Wednesday nights together looking into these things. And I'm excited for it because church in the context of our family, I wanna say, do not be deceived, our beloved brothers and sisters. And we're gonna do our best to equip us to live in our ever-changing worlds. Some things are changing. Some things will always remain the same. Let's look at verse 17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. See, in this verse, James explains two important things for us to remember. Firstly, he's reminding us that God is the true source of all blessing. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from Him. And don't you love the way that he presents God as the father of lights? It's poetic language speaking to this creator Lord and that all things come from him. One of the other translations expresses the father of the heavenly lights. He's saying, hey, look up, look to the skies. Who created all of that? From that same creator God, all these blessings flow. Sam Albury, he's one of the commentators I've read on this. He's got a James for you commentary and he says this, God is the creator. He is the one who made the stars and fixed them in place. He charts their course. He is the cosmic and glorious God for whom all things are possible. The one who reigns over every corner of the universe. And it is this creator God who wonderfully takes an interest in us. This God loves us and knows us and gives great gifts to us. James is reminding us, and it's so important, it's so important, I'm not sure if I said this earlier, but it's so important as we come to the text and to the Scriptures that we recognise, yes, James was saying it to them then, but the Spirit of God is, is using this text and bringing us to this place tonight to speak to us tonight. And what would he wanna say to you? This is not just a cerebral exercise of study so we can find out what he meant to say to them then. No, this is also what God would say to us now. When I think about James uh, and how he's speaking here, I think about verse 16 and, and verse 17 in the contrast of these things. Here he says, the father of lights, that's who God is. In verse 16, he's saying, do not be deceived. See, in John 8, James's half-brother, Jesus, said actually that the deceiver is the father of lies. So verse 16, you have the father of lies seeking to deceive us. And 17, the father of lights, the one from whom all good things come. And the question comes to us then, from which father do we wanna receive? From which father do we wanna receive? 
I'm not sure about you, but when last did you, when you saw a good thing come go, oh, I wonder which father this is from, father of lies or father of lights? We don't think that way, do we? But last week, Jane helped us to understand that so often it's the shiny things that seem good in this world that are actually there to tempt us and to, to lead us astray. I had a funny experience when I was at this conference. I said to one of the worship leaders, who's a good friend of mine from the States, uh, I have a thing for shoes, if you didn't know that personal confession session. But uh, I saw this guy had these great Nike shoes and I could see they were splinternit, right? Very new. And, and he had obviously bought them just before the conference and he was like bouncing around on the stage and worshiping and it was all eye level. It was lots of temptation, distraction for me as a shoe person. And on the last day, um, just before the last session, I, meant, I went, dude, love your shoes. I've been meaning to tell you. Next time in the States, you must tell me where you got those. And it was just this compliment. Honest truth, just a compliment. After the meeting, when I wasn't there, he ran up to Kate, my wife, and stuck the shoes in her, in her arms and she said, give those to Ryan, bless him. Now I've got splinter knit nights, right? <laughs> People say, did they fit you? It doesn't matter if they didn't. I was, gonna, I was gonna get those shoes on, right? But the reality is I didn't stop when Kate passed me those shoes and say, Lord, is this from the father of lies? Is this here to deceive me that I will be more cool and content in these Nikes? No, we don't think that way. But I do believe that we do need to find ourselves assessing a little bit more sometimes when it comes to this world and the receiving. Guys, you're all on the front side of most of your careers. Not everyone, some of the gray hairs in the room, not speaking to you right now. But most of you are on the front side of your careers. And here's one of the biggest traps you will fall into. They did a global study on economics and people's contentment. And you know what they found? Across a hundred different countries in every economic bracket and every social up, uh, context, that people all believed they didn't have enough. From Switzerland to Soweto, that they didn't have enough. You know what else they, they found in common across all of the contexts, everybody believed if they just had 10% more, they would be content. As you get that new paycheck, hey man, you guys are gonna do fantastic in your careers and you get that next paycheck. Is it gonna be, Lord, I receive it all from you. Thank you. I've worked so hard for this. I receive this from the Father of lights. Or is it gonna be, Lord, what would it mean for me to weigh this in a way that doesn't get caught by the Father of lies on this one? that this thing is gonna provide contentment and security and happiness and provision for my life. Lord, may I receive this as of from you and may I steward it as unto you. So important for us. I'm getting sidetracked. None of that's in my notes. <laughs> but when we think about this father of lights and father of lies dynamic, I do believe that it should inform our prayers and our perspectives. Lord, help us to see how you see things. Because sometimes the good and shiny things like Jane told us last week feel like they're from you, Lord. Sometimes they, they're not. It should inform our actions. Lord, help us be about the business of the father of lights and never serve the purpose of the father of lies. 
Also, as I reflected on this concept of the father of lights, I'm not sure about you, most of us are not Jewish in the room, most of us are not steeped in kind of the Jewish history of the people of God through, throughout the generations, but I'm guessing when these guys, because it happened for me, when these guys heard father of lights and James said, hey, look to the father of lights and all the good and perfect blessings he's given, they would have looked to the stars and they would have gone, hey, we too are people of the promise. They would have in that moment remembered the promises to their great forefather, Abraham, who in Genesis 12 is promised that he would be, a bless, he would be blessed and that he would be a blessing. And that Genesis 15 then, we see God saying to Abraham, hey, take a look at all the stars of the sky, count them if you can, as many as there are in the sky, so will your offspring be. And as James refers to the father of lights, they too would have reminded themselves that we are a people of the promise. We are counted in in the fulfilling of those very promises to our forefather Abraham because we we're, we're, we're part of the stars in the sky in that kind of way. And they look to heaven and they see that they are God's people and that He is faithful and that His promises to Abraham have been faithfully outworked throughout the generations. And that leads us to our second main point from verse 17, which is God can be trusted because He is faithful and unchanging. James' sentence concludes in this way, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And this idea of variation has actually got to do with the, the shifting skies, the stars moving across the skies and the shadows has got to do with the, the kind of day and night dynamics and the time telling and the, the shifting of all of those things. And, and actually what we see here is this constant motion is actually being used as a contrast to who God is. Yes, God created all of that. The size and the scale of it, look to God, that's who He is. He is powerful creator God. But though he created all of that shifting motion, he is not like it. He is the unchanging God. He is constant. He never shifts in his position. He is steadfast, utterly faithful. Again, Sam, Sam Albury on this, he said, God does not go through phases. We are not flavor of the month for a time and then cast aside and forgotten about. God is always good to us and his commitment to us never falters. Ultimate, we can look to God because he is steadfast and he never falters. He does not change. And what he has promised, he is faithful to. Isn't this a reassuring reminder for us? We don't have to question God. Let's move on to the final verse for this evening. Verse 18, of his own will, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This text is speaking about the biblical theological concept of new birth. New birth, the NIV says, he chose to give us birth through the word of his truth. I think for us to fully understand new birth, which feels like Christianity 101, but so often we miss it. And I think in the context of his good and perfect gifts, I would hate for us to miss out on the great perfection of the biggest gift that God has given us, which is new birth into life eternal. 
in order to unpack the fullness of this new birth thing. It's important that firstly we consider its origin. Where's his origin? Of his own will. Our new life, our new birth, the greatest perfect gift of all time originates in his goodwill, his free will of his own will. Listen to how Spurgeon speaks of this. He says, now mostly men who are generous need to have their generosity excited or motivated. They will need to be waited upon. Appeals must be laid before them. They must sometimes be pressed. But of his own will, God did to us all that has been done without any incentive or prompting, moved only by himself because he delighteth in mercy because his name and his nature are love. Because ever more like the sun, it is natural to him to distribute the beams of his eternal grace. Isn't that beautiful? Spurgeon, hey? Prince of Preachers, wasn't that him? New birth originated in God's free will. Secondly, we need to understand the means. What is the means? What is the means of this new birth? Yes, it originated in God's free will, but what is the means? The word of truth is what the scriptures say. No, it's not you're being a good Christian. No, it's not you doing the right things. No, it is in His great goodness to us. The truth, the word of truth is the message of Christ, the gospel that, that He died for us. Word of truth, when rightly responded to, is so powerful, it makes us into new people. The, the Spirit of the living God comes to live in us and it changes everything. New desires, new appetites, new longings, new perspectives, new everything, new life is possible. We are born again. I remember one of my friends seeing me about six years after school and I'd become a Christian in between and we went to Afrikaans boarding school in Wellington together. And then we bumped into each other at a leadership conference here, a church leadership conference here in the city. And he saw me from across the room and he walked straight towards me. And these were the first words that came out of his mouth. Ryan, what mark kerk? Ryan, what are you even doing in a church? And he knew that some substantial things would have to completely change for me even to find myself proximated, proxim, in the building, right? <laughs> Ryan Vatmok Yaini Kark, new life had come into me. I'd, the, spirit of la, the Spirit of God had come to dwell in me and, and he, God had been about changing my life. It's powerful to experience new birth, new life. And it's even sometimes more powerful to witness it in others. And I'm sure that many people sitting in this room have got your own story of new life, new birth, new appetites, changing things in your life. Remember last week, if you were here last week, I put up this photo, can we show it real quick? This photo that Voldu, a friend of mine sent me, he's now a pastor and Paul, this is his first men's camp and he sends me this photo. He says, Ryan, I just wanted to share my joy with you, baptizing men in the same pool that you baptized me in 18 years ago. And what a beautiful picture. And I told you last week, and you've got to know a few things about Valdu, right? But let me tell you a little bit more about Valdu. Valdu Kreer. Valdu Johannes Kreer, right? When I met Valdu, 
Volder and Roger, Roger who leads the Bloberg Common Ground Congregation, the two of them were big buddies. They were at Tech, which is now Kaput, and they were studying industrial design or something like that. And let me just tell you, these guys smoked way too much weed. They swore like soldiers and drank like shippers. What do you call them? Sailors. Sailors, yes, that's it. Shippers, people who go on ships. You guys don't know about shippers around here? It's big, it's big in Europe, that shippers. <laughs> but these guys, these guys were doing their own thing and, and I told you that, that, I mean, the first time I'm trying to build a relationship with these guys, right? And, and I go, Voldu's in this hardcore, very angry band, right? And they like scream and stuff and they're playing at Purple Turtle, which is this dingy dive in town. And I go along to one of his shows and as I walk up to the circle of him and his mates, as I walk up to them, they all drop their cigarettes quietly and someone says, Chipsy, call me Domini. <laughs> I was 24 years old at the time. I was like, don't call me Domini. But let me tell you, those are all external things, external things. The number one thing that I've seen shift and change in Valdu's life over many years, and it happened as God got hold of his life, is when I met Valdu, he was an angry young man, a very angry young man. And God got hold of his heart to the point now where I would consider him to be one of the true gentle-hearted men that I know. God shifting and changing things deep in his heart. This is what new birth is all about. God getting holding of our hearts, getting hold of our hearts and changing us. Lastly, then not only what is the origin of our new birth, his will, the means of our new birth, the word of truth, the gospel, but what is the result of this new birth? That we would be a kind of first fruits of all creatures. First fruits. See. What God did in us, a recreation is a, is a first fruit dynamic, is a foreshadowing of the recreating of all things. And one day in time to come, we will have a new heavens and a new earth. He will recreate all things. But we, those who've received new birth and are being born again, have been born again, we are first fruits. And as James writes to these Jewish Christian converted people who've been sent out or scattered out. He's saying, hey, you two are first fruits. You are first fruits of many more that will come to know God and experience this new birth. So don't lose hope. Don't give up. Look up to the Father of lights. He is the one who gives us so many good things and predominantly He has given us life itself, new life. I'm not sure where you find yourself tonight, but I know that all of us need to be encouraged to right seeing, right viewing more and more in our lives. Looking up and recognizing that God is at work and that He has given us good and perfect gifts. Let's pray together. The band can jump up. We're gonna close with a song in a minute or so. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word because it is a plumb line of truth for our souls. God, I pray that we would not be the deceived brothers and sisters who give ourselves to these other things, but God, that we would be those who have right perspective because we look up and we look to you, the Father of lights, you, the one who gives us good and perfect gifts, the one who's given us the ultimate gift of salvation, new life. 
we look to you. We say, God, won't you come and freshly satisfy our souls? Holy Spirit, won't you come and freshly do your work within us? Protect us from the father of lies and being deceived to go after trying to make it happen on our own, the humanistic approach or just choosing our own truth, postmodernist expressions, hype of individualism. God, protect us from these things. They do not lead to life. But God, lead us in the way everlasting. Thank you that you are the way. Thank you, God, that you are the truth. Thank you, God, that you are the life. And we once again find ourselves in this place of drawing deeply from the resources of heaven, saying, come and have your way fully in our lives. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.